Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. 1 Peter chapter 3. We will begin our reading in verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. This is, I think, our 10th sermon uh, that we've done so far. We're in a series uh, of sermons going through the book of 1 Peter. Our Living Hope is the title of the series. Let's read together from 1 Peter 3, verse 7. You husbands, what a way to start a passage. You husbands. In the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, we're reminded that our relationship with God is never going to be any better than our relationship with each other. If we have division between us as brothers and sisters in Christ, that hinders our relationship with God, and especially us as husbands. And one other quick word. In the same way, he started his section in verse 1 to the women. In the same way. So what does he mean? Well, if you go back to the previous chapter, you discover that Christ was our example. He came. He submitted. He was humble. He was loving. He was kind. He was all of these things that we might find it almost impossible to do in our society. He says, no, you'll have to depend on God's strength to do this. It won't be easy. But in the same way. Verse 8. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead, for you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Verse 10, for the one who desires life to love and to see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. The psalmist wrote this earlier. We must turn away from evil and do good. We must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Well, we've already talked about why we're here. We're in one of the general epistles. We are in 1 Peter and for a reason. 
We are nearing the end of the New Testament period and life's gotten tough. The other apostles, many of them haven't seen each other in years. They've gone different ways. I'm sure that they're wondering about the welfare of each other and, and most of them will die alone somewhere doing ministry. But it, it, it's gotten tough. One thing that's really blown the church away is the Lord has not come back yet. They really felt like that it would just be any time. We heard Paul say that, that, that when the Lord comes, the day that Christ shall rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain, we will be called up together. Those of us, he, he believed he would be here when, when it happened, but he wasn't here. And, and it begins to dawn on them toward the end of the New Testament era that the Lord's not maybe coming back as quickly as we thought and, and and boy reality is setting in the world is not all excited about the church and its message any more than it was so about Jesus and his message and I'm sure those verses are ringing in their ears that Jesus says don't forget the world will hate you because it first hated me it will happen and it did and now for you and I, the world has had 2,000 years to sit here and, and just uh, soak in, in this, this uh, sewer of depravity and, and to just continue to go its own way. Just, it's, it's incredible uh, when we look at our world today and all of the darkness around us. But we are called to be light like every generation before us and we've said it here and we said it in the men's meeting Wednesday and I'll repeat it again I'm not sure why God chose this church the the people he chose for us uh, for me to be a pastor and others to preach his word and and he called you and had you born during this time and he called you to himself and you're a born again child of God why did he choose this generation of the church to be light and this generation of darkness that's all in his plan and it's all a part of what God wanted so here we are called to be light in the darkness and first Peter is going to help us it's going to help us to understand some of this today we're going to take a look at living a godly life living a godly life is not living a religious life no, it's living a life that reflects God. And I, I think we could probably spend a measure of time on that, but we won't. But especially if we weren't in the church. But when you think about how our world sees God, look at social media and other places in the world and how they look at God. And God is just, big, just this big cool guy and he's... Uh, uh, he was nice to everybody and, and that's what he wants all us to be and if we'll do that we'll just love like he loved and all of that we're all going to be okay oh there's some that they don't live for the Lord but in the end oh you know God he's going to get them he loves everybody right and he's just going to rake us all in and, and this universalism that permeates our culture and its understanding of God and people even believe in God anymore it has so led us astray i'm not sure if you say you need to live like god you won't have to explain that to most people 
What is godly living really like? I can tell you for the Christian, it's summed up in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh, and it dwelt among us. God, He came and lived among us. He became, he became flesh. And he lived among us and we saw his glory. His glory is everything he does and, and everything he is. We got to see that in the person of Jesus Christ. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father. And two things. He was full of grace and truth. We like the grace. We're not much on the truth. But he was full of grace and truth. He didn't come here to kid around. If you wanted to reject him, he didn't say, well, my grace will kick in. <laughs> it, it'll, it'll overcome you. you. You can hate me, shake your fist in my face. You can, you can hate everything about God, church, all of that. I, it's, it's, it's my love will overcome it and all that. That is not what he taught us. That's not what he was about. He came here full of both grace and truth. This passage is going to teach us how then to live a godly life. And Peter is going to start in the home and then he'll move to the church and then he'll move to the world. And next week we will move to the world. We won't get to the world today. We'll get to the home, hopefully, and to the church. First of all, how to live a godly life in the home. First of all, wives, and we've already... We have already looked at the verses pertaining to you. There were six of them for you. Only one for us, guys. We, we get it pretty quickly. So he gave you six verses and just gave us one. <laughs> well, I'm not sure you can say that with honesty. Because in that day, his concern was... That the women are in an uphill battle. Socially, we talked about all of that and, and we won't go back into it. But in Sermon 9, we talked about how that Christianity was the greatest women's liberation movement in the history of the entire world. Nothing has ever liberated women like Christianity and the early church. Up until that time, women were thought of as nothing more than property. She was had to be totally submissive to her husband and everything. She didn't even come out of the house unless he gave her permission to. When company came, she would go to the back of the house and stay there. And she would not come out unless she was invited to. And as they would walk down the street, she and the daughters would walk behind the man and his sons. It was just the way it was. Even in Jewish culture, when you read the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet the Tenth Commandment. Don't covet your neighbor's house and don't covet your neighbor's cow and don't cover, covet your neighbor's sheep or his land or his donkey or his wife. Because she belonged to him like all those other things. But I can tell you something. I, I despise it when I hear people talk about, well, the, 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 the Bible's dated. The New Testament especially, it's, it's dated when it comes to marriage. It, it really is a reflection of the culture around it. No, it's not. You're either wrong or lying or both. Really. 
It did not reflect the culture around it. It actually cut against the culture around it because even in Roman times and in Greek times, women were still thought of as property. Under Roman law, a man, if he caught his wife or could just say, I believe my wife is being unfaithful to me, he could beat her to death and leave her lying there. There'd never be any charges, no arrest, no investigation, nothing. He could kill her pretty much at will. And there are examples in the history of women that were killed right on the spot. One woman of a, a Roman leader one time, he beat her to death right there on the street in front of everybody because she spoke to a freeman, uh, someone of a lower class. So I can tell you the New Testament is not reflecting some ancient culture from which we need to be set free in our thinking. No. The problem with the New Testament is it didn't reflect that culture and neither does it reflect ours. And that's why it's hated. Just being honest. You husbands. Let's get to you husbands, okay? Us husbands. He talked to the wives, he talks to the husbands. In the ancient world, all of the obligations were on the wife and all of the privileges belonged to the husband. And that's the way marriage was set up. But that's not how the New Testament set it up. Three things, husbands, that we have to do that Peter lays out for us here. Number one is going to kill you. You have to understand her. Would you like a moment to just get your Bible and go on to the car? <laughs> You have to understand her. Verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way. Men, we must understand our wives. Let me, let me tell you what, he, what he's getting at here. In, in an understanding way, I, 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 some commentaries try to translate it as, well, you just need to be understanding, like sympathetic. Uh, no, that's not what he means. You need to have knowledge. That's, that's the word that he's getting toward here. You need to have some understanding of how that woman works. And I have no doubt about it. She may be a, a, a wonder to you till the day you die. There may be things that she says and does that you may never in your whole life understand. Really. And I mean, there's some things that we will never understand. Science has studied it and all of that. I mean, three laps to go in a Daytona 500, she gets up to go get something to drink. <laughs> Where's that come from? What is that about? How do you cope with it? How do you not pass out? What's it, it, and, and I'm, of course, I'm kidding. There, there'll be other things. I think I understand that one. <laughs> Dr. Eggerich did a study called Love and Respect, and I know a lot of you went through it with us here at the church, and I'll admit I'm going to lean heavily on him for this particular point, but one of the most important things he says in that study is to motivate any human being, you must meet his or her deepest need. When you meet the deepest need of a human being, then I can tell you that will motivate them more than anything else. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33, just so you know, it's not Eggerich that we're leaning on, but the Word of God. 
it says this, each one of you also must love his wife and the wife must respect her husband. The greatest need of a woman, men, is love. And the greatest need of a man, women, is respect. The greatest needs we have, and, and I, I know that it might come in various uh, uh, levels of need, but I can tell you when it comes down to it, men need to be respected and women need to be loved. And, and, and let me just give you some background to that. In creation, God did this and said that it was good. And then he did something else and he saw that it was good. And, and he repeated himself several times. The first time that God said, this is not good. You remember what it was? It is not good that man should be alone. He's created in my image. I created man in my image and I am a social being, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. Even though I'm one, I can have a conversation with myself. I didn't say let me create man in my image. I said let us create man in our image. He is a social being as well. And with whom will he be social if we do not create someone for him? So God said he created a helpmate for him. That's a tough word to translate in the Hebrew. And, and it, you can use a, a lot of different words, but I remember growing up thinking helpmate was somebody to, you know, clean up around the house. That's probably a terrible translation of that word. Actually, the word means someone fitting for him. Where you as a husband may be weak, she will be strong. That, that's, that's, the, that's what makes the marriage. That's, that's where you mesh. Where you may be low, she will be high. Where, where, what you may be weak at doing or what may cause you fear, she may face without a thought. But I can tell you, the two of you, when God brings you together in that holy matrimony, the two become one, not just two real close together. No, the two become one. So, Pastor Mike, do you have a feminine side? I sure do. She's sitting right here. Yeah. And she has a masculine side. And he's standing right here. And the two of us put together in holy matrimony. We don't just become a, ma a male and a female. No, we, we become one. We become one flesh together. That's what God's intent always was. We are made in the image of God. And we have to have that social networking going on. And let me tell you this. When Jesus Christ lived on this earth, He was every bit creator God. As a matter of fact, by Him everything was made and nothing was made that was made that He didn't make according to the first chapter of John. But yet He submitted to the Father, not my will, but Thy will be done. And the Spirit of God led Him. Several times you will read it in the Gospels. Jesus was led by the Spirit. So do you see how that submission thing works within the Trinity? It's not about subjection or subordination or a lack or lesser value. No, it is about a social being that comes together in perfect unity designed by God. Hallelujah. That's right. 
Dr. Eggerich talks about the crazy cycle. Without love, she reacts without respect. And without respect, he reacts without love. And when he doesn't show her love, she quits showing respect. And when she quits showing respect, he quits showing love. And, and then you just, you're, in the, you're in that cycle. Boom, 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 boom. Somebody has to, somebody has to give. Somebody has to be the adult and realize, hey, I realize and know that, you know, I'm, I'm, I am... I am hurting you and, and, and we're hurting each other and there's no need for us to keep going around like that. I think a lot of marriages could have been saved had people understood that, that we have a different kind of need uh, between a man and a woman. And let me tell you this, the feminists have so lied to us. You know why they say, feminists say, that, that I don't cry much uh, 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 during a movie? I, I, and my wife might more than me. I'm just saying. I think uh, where the red fern grows might have got me. I don't know. But I fake it. I, I, I just, I, man. My wife doesn't care. She, uh, I can tell you, we're two different kinds of people. But the feminists say that men, we've not evolved yet. Not as much as women. We're still a little bent over and gorilla-like. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding you. And when we have evolved as much as women, we too will open up and share our feelings. And we can just cuddle over some popcorn with our precious wife and we'll all just bawl our eyes out when us men finally evolved and get to that place intellectually and emotionally where women are. They refuse to acknowledge that God said, I have made them male and female. Not right and wrong. No, but different. Male and female. And if you're in a marriage that is successful, I want to tell you something. You won't want him to be feminine, and I sure, Lord, don't want her to be masculine. <sighs> I don't want her coming to me and going, there's a deer. I want her going, oh. Well, I raise the window and tell her to be quiet. I think I can get him from here. You boom! Fresh backstrap and a lecture. I'm just saying to you, it is so important that men we under stand our wives. We speak different languages. We're going to spend a little more time on this point than we will the rest. So, so don't clock me thinking we'll be here all day. We won't. We have different languages. Dr. Eggerich helps us with this too, but when a woman, when a man says, I don't have anything to wear, you know what he means, right? I don't have anything clean. When a woman says she doesn't have anything to wear, that means something different, doesn't it? 
That means we're going to belts. <laughs> okay? That's a total different understanding. Same words coming out the same way, but meaning two different things all together. Entertainment's another. Movies are where uh, Dr. Egerich tells us that's where a woman feeds her emotions. It's where men escape, we escape ours. Really. That's why women love, oh Lord, he, oh, they got back together and, and, and now it's, you know, under the Christmas tree kissing and oh Lord, look at that. And I'm sitting there going, man, I wonder when the Dallas game comes on. <laughs> I want to hear Arnold go, go to the chopper. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're different. One's not right and one's not wrong. One's male, one's female. That's the way God made us. Different focus. This is one last one we'll look at. Recently, I talked to somebody. I don't even remember who it was, but I talked to somebody. I got off the phone with Reddit. Says, "What y'all talk about?" I went, oh, you know, stuff. <laughs> she said, how's his wife? I said, why? <laughs> I don't know. I didn't ask. You didn't ask him about his wife? I said, honey, he just killed a 10-pointer, okay? You think he's thinking about his wife? We have different foci. I like saying that word for focus. We focus on different things. Men, we have to understand her. Secondly, we need to undergird her. Verse 7 says, as someone weaker since she is a woman. Now, that sounds pejorative, but it's because we don't understand what he's trying to say. That may, may not to you, but it would to some. He uses the word since she is a woman to signify she's not weaker because she's a wife. And you're a husband. She's weaker because she's female and you are male. And it's indisputable that males are physically, most of the time, stronger than females. We're, we're more brutish and it's in our nature to protect uh, our mate. It's part of our nature. And that's where it comes in, ladies, that, that we, we, might, we might be like, you know, some old redneck... Uh, uh, you know, I don't know the word brute or whatever. We might look barbaric sometimes, you know, and we might not care as much about how we look standing on the porch scantily clad in a pair of Crocs. But we thought we heard something. And we have the AR out and we are looking. We are scanning the perimeter. It's part of our nature though and we want to love you and we want to take care of you and and, and 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 we need to protect our wives and let me tell you this guys uh, I, I understand there's this idea nowadays that well we just need to be as Christians you know more pacifists and just let the Lord take care of us and all of that and I believe all of that I think where I disagree with some people is how he provides that taking care of because when I am out with my precious, I want to tell you, I have already made plans ahead of time. I'm an older guy now, not in the best of shape, 
I got one hand. But I have made preparation ahead of time. And I'll just leave it at that. Because when I took her to Spartanburg the other day, I had preparation. Okay? Right here on my left side. And I got a license to carry it. But what I'm saying to you is, I want to be able to take care of her. And it's not some just some masculine uh, kind of foolishness where I got to feel like I'm, I'm strong or powerful or something of that nature. It is built into me by the Creator Himself to protect my wife. I'm going to be watching when I'm with her. Uh, when we go out somewhere, I'm going to keep an eye on wherever she goes. I'm going to keep her close to me. And in our world today, guys, I'm going to tell you, the world has changed a lot. You and I might not like it, but you and I are going to have to commit ourselves to protect and take care of our families because there's plenty of people out there that will hurt them. Take care of them. Protect them. That day has come. Understand her. Undergird her. We must uphold her. Verse 7, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Here you go, ladies. You want to know what your status is? Here's your status. Fellow heirs of the grace of life. In the eternal scheme of things, there is no difference in your qualifications or classifications and the man's. We are fellow heirs of the eternal life that God has offered us. We're fellow heirs. Peter moved from the physical and social <coughs> functional status to the ultimate significance. And that's where we are together in eternity. Men, we should honor our wives because they share the same destiny, the same grace. They have the same Lord and He loves them with the same love with which He loves us. Men, honor, uphold, undergird, and understand your wife. He talks about living a godly life in the home and then he moves to the church. Let's look at that and then we will close. In the home and in the church, he picks up in verse 8. He says we are to be, first of all, harmonious. All of us, he says, all of you, all of you in the church, Learn to be harmonious. I, I, I love the word there. In, in the Greek, it, it means harmony. Having a musical background, I can certainly understand the difference between unison and harmony. Unison is when we all sing the same note. But that's not the word he uses here. Harmony is not us all singing the same note. It's all of us singing the right note. Okay, I think some... Uh, Especially local groups that I hear from time to time, and, and I appreciate their effort. Uh, I really do. But I can just tell you, sometimes I've been to some of these good old-fashioned singings, and, and I'm not sure if they understood harmony wasn't just singing different notes. It was singing the right different notes. Harmony is not you and I singing in unison. We might disagree on things, church family. 
But we can be in harmony together. We don't have to be clones. We don't all have to like the same things. But there are certain fundamental truths that you and I, we need to agree on. As a matter of fact, when you come to join Cornerstone Fellowship and you take our order membership class, we have some things in there that we tell you up front. Those are non-negotiables. They're in the Word of God. They're powerful truths and foundational truths on which we stand. There are other things, like if you want to bring a different translation of the Bible than the one maybe I'm using, that's a negotiable. You bring whichever one that you'll read. That's, that's the best one you could have anyway. That's a negotiable. But when it comes to how many ways can you be saved, Jesus Christ. He is the only way. There's not a, He's not a way. He is the way, and that's it. That is non-negotiable. We have some of those. But once you get beyond that, everybody doesn't have to be alike. We don't all have to like the same things. Harmony is beautiful. It's more beautiful than unison. Sometimes singing and putting together a song, you'll notice how the uh, singers will start out maybe in unison, but you know it's coming, right? Boy, they're going to hit the chorus in a minute, and, and man, boom, buddy, they're going to hit those parts, and, and, and you're going to get what we call chicken skin. Oh man, a lot, praise the Lord. <laughs> Harmony is beautiful. I will never forget. I put this in my notes. I just got to tell you. My nephew and I, we were on Santee <coughs> years ago. He had just caught a 40-pound blue cat. Uh, Right, ladies? I mean, you're thinking he's got somebody's house cat hung in the boat, right? I know it'll come when she A 40 pound. We waited. 40 on the nose. Oh, we wrestled and got that thing in. We were so tickled. Got that thing in the boat. It hit the bottom of the boat. It wasn't even fitting in the head. It hit the bottom of the boat on the I bet that poor catfish was thinking, my goodness. I fought for two hours, now I'm out of the water and I haven't noticed what's laying on top of me. <laughs> we started in though, I'll never forget. There were boats kind of all around us and we was headed back in over there to the landing and the boat motor was just humming along. And I went a third above it. And then my nephew went a third above me, and you might not even know what that is if you're not a musician. But we sung Bill Monroe's In the Pines, In the Pines, Where the Sun Never Shines. And there was three of us, me, my nephew, and a boat motor. And we sung the living water out When we would go by boats, they would wave. We were singing loud as we could. Now, if I'd have changed the the throttle a little bit would have had to have gone to a different key. <laughs> Harmony's beautiful. My MRI the other day, they, boy, the Lord have mercy. That's like being locked in a teenager's Honda City. And then it started making all of these crazy noises. I started to, because I'm so claustrophobic, and I was trying to keep my mind on something else besides the fact that I'm in a casket. 
And I started to harmonize with him, but I thought, man, he's going to tell him what that to do to the picture, so I'll just shut up. <laughs> Harmonious. He says, secondly, be sympathetic. In verse 8, sympathetic. Sympathes is the word. Soon is together or same as, uh, 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 more together than same as. And, and pathos is feelings. Sympathetic, sensitive to what others are feeling. Now, let me make a point here and we'll move on. Being sympathetic with each other does not mean the same thing as being empathetic with each other. The difference in empathy and sympathy. Empathy is when I feel what you feel. That's me feeling what you feel. Perhaps we have a shared experience. I'm always doubtful that we really feel what other people feel, even if we have the very same experiences. We're different people. And one of the things that I quit saying years ago in the ministry to someone who is grieving, I quit telling them, we know how you feel. I hate to hear anybody say to someone who is broken hearted that I know how you feel. Even if you went through it yourself, you don't know exactly how that person feels. But that is empathy. Sympathy is when I don't know how you feel. But my heart breaks with you anyway. It's when I look at you and I go, I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine that. I don't think they'll mind, but when I got my COVID shot the other day, I rode by Jason's grave. I don't know how. I, I can't, I'm not about to tell the Kennedys, yeah, I know how you feel. I don't know how you feel. Man, I want to tell you something. When I think about losing one of my children, I, 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 I can't even bring the words out. I sit there and don't even know how. I'm, I'm paralyzed. I, 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 can do, I just have to almost shake myself out of it to... To get that thought out of my mind, my goodness. And some of you, uh, others of you, you have been through that. I can tell you, sympathy doesn't mean we all have to experience the same thing before we can care about each other. That's empathy. Sympathy is when I can look at you and say, my heart is breaking and I don't know what you're going through. And I can't imagine how it must feel. But I love you and I care about you and my heart breaks with you. He says, in the church, be harmonious, be sympathetic. Thirdly, he says, be brotherly, be brotherly with each other. Verse 8 again, John 13, 35 says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love or have love for one another. Truly loving one another. And love is another word that we really need to work on like we do God. When we talk about living a godly life, well, what is God like? And when we talk about loving one another, what is real, true love exactly like? Someone has said that truly caring for people requires that we not care too much about their approval or disapproval. Think about that. You really got to get to the point that you don't care 
whether I approve or disapprove of you. You just got to love me. Because sometimes I need you to say things to me I don't want to hear. And if all you have is the mutual admiration society with your friends, you don't have friends. You need somebody that will look at you with enough love and speak truth to you. They'll be there with you. They'll walk with you through it. But, but if all you have is a bunch of yes men and yes women around you, you don't have friends. You need somebody that will love you and not care whether you love them back or not. That's tough. We let a lot of people we claim we love just walk right on off into disaster because we just can't bring ourselves to tell them you are being an idiot. And I may be the only one that loves you enough to tell you but you're being an idiot. And when you do ruin yourself, I'm not going to blame everybody else in the world. I'm going to blame you because you're being an idiot. And I love you enough to tell you that. I love you loving me. But I love you more than you loving me. I wouldn't want anything to happen in our relationship. But I'm not so emotionally needed that, that I've got to have you to like me. So I'm not going to hide it. I'm just going to tell you. If you never speak to me again, you're being an idiot. And you need to stop. Are you going to get to a place that no one can help you? Oh, I bet you've been there, have you not? Where somebody just stomped out, man. You don't care. And then they go gravitate around all those other idiots that are telling them what they want to hear. But sometimes, and not always, sometimes in life, when that person gets to the end of him or herself, guess who they go looking for? Not the other idiots, but somebody who loved them enough to tell them the truth. He says, be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, and kind-hearted. Verse 8, kind-hearted. <laughs> this is an inner feeling. And literally, the word here that we're translating kind-hearted, you've got to understand they were a little behind the ball on, on, on medical understanding back then. So sometimes when the New Testament translates uh, loving God with all your heart, it may have uh, uh, the word brain there. That's a word for kidneys. Renal failure. Love God with all your kidneys is how you would translate that. Here, being kind-hearted means to have good intestines. Love them from within. Be kind in here. Have a deep, deep, visceral feeling toward other people. When you see them hurting, let it move you on the inside. They had a little trouble medically locating the heart, but splanta is a word for stomach here. It literally would be good bowels. Have good intestines. Aren't you glad you came? <laughs> Have good intestines. Inside. Not just on the outside. Anybody can fake that. But on the inside. When you look at someone and you, 
You feel for that person. It just moves you on the inside. You know what I'm talking about. And they're not that far off, are they? Because you know when you get really burdened and really uh, downcast about something, something really moves you, where does it hit you? It hits you right here. Not so much right here. Visceral, gut-moving feelings. Be kind-hearted. Let what happens to others have an effect on you. Humble in spirit, verse 8. Humble in spirit. C.S. Lewis got the best quote I know on humility. He says, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but it's thinking of ourselves less. Thinking about other people, not how this will affect you, but how, how, how it affects other people. That's one of the killers in marriages is, is you got two people trying their best to figure out how this affects me and, 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 and his decisions makes me feel this or that or, or what she does makes me do something else and, and you're blaming each other and you're going back and forth about that. That'll kill a marriage, it'll kill a church, it'll kill relationships. We have to think less of ourselves and think of others. And probably a great place to put humility because I'm going to tell you, when you get the kind-hearted business and the sympathy and all of that going, if you're not careful, I can tell you, it'll get the best of you. You become one of these people that's a rescuer where you feel a lot of pride in the fact that you help homeless people or you feel a lot of pride in the fact that, that nobody cared about so-and-so but you took them a meal or whatever. And the next thing you know, you're beginning to find significance in these things that you're doing and instead of finding your significance in your relationship with God well nobody cared about them but I did feels good don't it and you don't realize you've already made it about you you're using a person do you realize that you are prostituting a poor soul that's already downcast to help build yourself up and you would swear a million times wouldn't you that no I'm doing it for them I just got a heart of love creature be careful with that. I don't know your heart, but Jeremiah says it's desperately wicked and nobody knows it. Be careful with it. And last of all, be gracious. Verse 9. Not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You might not remember it, but we've talked here before about the Lex Talionis. I know you're thinking that must be a bone in your foot or something. The Lex Talionis was part of the code of law that we discovered. It was written by a man named Hammurabi, probably 1,700 years before Christ. We discovered the code of Hammurabi. And in there, we found the Lex Talionis, which means it is the law of retaliation. It was where ancient people got the idea, eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth. I'm always amazed when I hear people say, well, you know, that's what the Bible says. Don't think you read it quite carefully. 
Jesus says, you have heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I say to you, I, I, you, you, you didn't get far enough. The Lex Talionis was hard for Jews. Most of the time they didn't enforce it. Here was their problem. Once you start down that road of legalism, you start dissecting every little part of the law. Basically, the law said that if Jeremy is going down the road, says Jeremy, but if he goes down the road and he runs over one of my cows and kills it, that I get to run over one of his cows and kill it. Okay? The problem for the Jews was because they were so blooming legalistic, they were like, well, now that cow that Jeremy hit was kind of sick and about to die anyway. And then you hit his prize bull, so we're going to have to get all that figured out. And then they started breaking out the Talmuds and then the Mishnahs and all of that. And they went to figure until they scratched a raw spot on their noggin and never could figure out. If you knock my tooth out, maybe the tooth that, that you knocked out was a good one. The tooth I knocked out, you wanted it out anyway. Boy, legalism, that's a prison in which I don't want to live. Jesus says, but I say to you, be good to those who are not good to you. Love people that don't love you. Be a blessing to those who curse you. Care for those who don't care about you. You see, that's how we shine in the dark, friend. And we live in a world right now that in my lifetime, I have never seen less regard for human life. And it's sensational. It's not going to stop. I saw the other night where Foot Locker had given the rioters up in Minnesota and other places. They'd given Black Lives Matter, actually. They're giving them $200 million. And the reason that made the news that day was two days before they had gone into another Foot Locker store and absolutely destroyed it. <coughs> now, I'm not picking on Black Lives Matters. I'm just telling you we live in a world because there's other groups that's just as bad. What I'm saying to you is our hatred is insatiable. What if they'd have given them 300 million? Maybe that would have done it. Do you think these people so filled and inflamed with hate are ever going to say, that, 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 that's enough. Y'all done enough. No, 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 no. No, you don't need to pass any more laws. We're good. You think it's ever going to stop? No. Because the answer is not legislation. Well, we got a bunch of dummies in D.C. that thinks this. The answer is not legislation. It's not going to stop anybody. Money's not going to fix it either, friend. Education. Our problem is sin. Boy, I hear about all these mass killers. Mental. A mental problem. Some of them may have mental issues. I don't doubt that. But some of them are just mean as a snake. Mean. Care very little for human life. So, 
going down a road as a country that when we spend every dime we got, and boy, we are about to do that. And a whole bunch we don't have. It's not going to fix it. Church, we have the answer. It's Jesus Christ. And a relationship with Him. That's the answer. That's the answer. And we're the light shining in this darkness. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you and we ask you, God, to help us now. Lord, we realize and know that until things are right in our homes, in our marriages, and until things are right in our churches, God, until the fighting and the the backbiting and, and the inner church politics all stops, God, that plagues so many fellowships. God, we're not going to be able to shine anywhere. So I pray you'd help us, God. Help us to realize and know what we have to do, first of all, in our, our own homes. When it comes to our marriages, help us as husbands, God. You've spoken to us today. and. And you've laid a major responsibility at our feet, God. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to fulfill it. And I also ask you, Lord, to help us in our churches. Help us to learn how to be brotherly and sympathetic, God. Lord, we often, almost always, think about how we feel about something without ever considering how it might have made someone else feel. Lord, help us, God. Help us to be gracious. Help us to learn how to squelch an argument, God, by instead of returning insult, returning love. Reaching out to someone and caring about things that made them fly off the handle or say something so ugly to us. God, I pray that you'd help us to do that. It will take a miracle. We do not have it within ourselves. We beg you to help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.